Shirley Yu began her journey as a computer scientist. She's also an award-winning conceptual still life and environmental portraiture photographer, with clients including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Time. She's also the founder of Choosy, a community app for collectors to curate, share, and acquire their collections, and cultivate connections. Join us as we speak about Shirley's journey from computer science to entrepreneurism, her creative process, and cultivating community through our collections. I'm Michelle Ong, and this is Steam Powered. Good evening, Shirley. Thank you so much for joining me today on Steam Powered. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you about your journey from computer science and photography all the way through to, you know, entrepreneurism. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. It's been a really busy week, um, but, you know, it's all been uh, gearing up to now my whole life. So, so happy to be here and speak with you, Michelle. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's just very exciting for you. Very excited for you. <laughs> And so, you know, you started off your journey in computer science and, you know, that's very cool because fancy that, so am I. But, you know, what drew you to that field to begin with? Ever since I was young, I've had a lot of people in my family, in my circle that were in the STEM field, almost everyone from my my parents, my grandparents. So I've always grown up with... um, technology around me. I've always been able to see, um, I've always been able to see um, great ideas made real um, and people making a really big impact uh, through tech. My uncle is an astrophysicist in Beijing. Um, My grandfather was a nuclear physicist. Um, My parents were programmers themselves. So by the time I was old enough to pick my own path, I, it was one of those things that was almost like a default choice for me. It was almost like I had known so much about this field. I had uh, been in high school learning about programming in the sense of um, just having conversations with my dad in, on the breakfast table learning about arrays and data with bacon and plates, you know? So it, it seemed as normal to me as, as math or reading, um, just a lot of familiarity around it. And so when it came time um, to pick a major, I went to Rutgers in New Jersey. Um, I, I, went with, I went with what I knew and I went with, computer science because it was almost like taking um, building blocks. And I had been a creative. I had worked with arts and um, worked with photography and my hobbies were really about making things. So so it felt like the most practical uh, career choice that also enabled me to build and tinker and um and make things of my own as well. So this was like pieces of a toolbox that I already knew. And what I did with that toolbox um, was up to me after that point. Yeah. 
And that's exactly it. Like computer science, it's just this foundation that you can just build off into so many different areas, especially if you are creative. And there's so many aspects of computer science that can give you kind of that tangible gratification of building something and being able to see what you've created. Absolutely. Um, I had a really, um, I had a really great experience with my professors in college too. One of them was um, technical and creative, just like me. And he um, told me about this one artist uh, that was uh, an alum of Rutgers themselves too, who made like 3D printed um, sculptures with algorithms making, you know, uh, making the sculptures themselves. And when we think about how algorithms, math, these things appear in life, like the Fibonacci spiral and, and, you know, the golden ratios and everything like that. There's this like intentionality to, and logic to the universe um, that, so I, I, it was this first time, like my college experience, I saw this intersection of creativity and technology. Um, and so it was really like, my faculty, the people around me, um, inspired me thinking, you know, this is a really great toolbox that not a lot of artists actually get to use or are that, that familiar with. So having, having, having so much familiarity and experience with it with the, was this gift. And um, I didn't know what I would do with it at that point, I, but I knew I wanted to do something of my own. Yeah, absolutely. So with photography, because you've made that your career so far was that something that you pursued before you entered computer science and then it kind of just blended together yeah I would say that in high school I explored many different hobbies very many uh clubs um Something about photography that drew me in was the idea of coming together on a project, on a vision. Um, I really loved the physics of it all um, in terms of like, you know, finding something in our world, putting these building blocks together um, and capturing it in front of you. It was like this creative problem solving that didn't have, uh, you know, painting and drawing. That's just everything from your imagination, everything from your mind. And photography was, you know, whatever your vision was, you actually had to make it come to life too. There was the physics of it. And that was a um, creative problem solving that I really, uh, that I really enjoyed. Not only was I, you know, seeing maybe even a surreal scene or a, you know, a still life or a portrait, I had to look in all 40, you know, areas of the frame just to make sure everything was how I imagined it. So there was there's this aspect of imagination and there's this aspect of making it real as well. And um, I always thought with my career path, um, I was open to the next step, no matter what that next step was. I was going to grab the bull by the horns and... Um, take the opportunities as they interested me, as they came. So I started off in high school exploring photography, reading books and um, going to different classes in the city. I took a class at FIT. And then when I studied computer science, I put that in the forefront, but I still had this creative bug inside of me. 
So, you know, to learn more about the professional industry, I got my own certification in all of the camera um, hardware and software. I became a digital technician on photography and film sets. Um, And that was my entry point into, you know, learning about the industry itself, which I fell in love with at that time. Um, I fell in love with it. um, And I realized that, you know, even when I entered school, um, I I wasn't sure that photography was a real career option for me. Um, Again, I was more familiar with people having very technical career paths, like straight up technical career paths, not necessarily like a fluid one like I have now. But so getting on set and realizing there were so many paths to take, I, um, I decided to learn from observation. Um, many people who enter the, the uh, studio of photography film side, you know, there are two paths, right? You go to art school or you start doing your own projects. You maybe start assisting or interning on sets and, um, Everybody on a set really had the same dream, whether you were a production assistant or a photography assistant, lighting assistant, gaffer, digital technician. We were all there uh, working together on one team to make a creative project happen, to make uh, beautiful um, conceptual images or inspirational ones, what have you, pieces of art. So so, uh, when I started on set as a digital technician, I... I realized that that was a viable career choice for me. And so this was this like balancing act for a couple of years. I would, um, you know, I even nerded out with some of my professors about (laughs) arts and um, about arts, about, about photography and magazines. I had read tons of uh, magazines about tech and business Um, fashion and culture because uh, my mom loved magazines as well so <laughs> yeah so I, I I really swirled myself with everything that interested me and uh, it was this period where I had uh, I was going to school and on the you know summers winters uh, the nights and weekends I was uh, I was renting a studio in Queens with like, you know, three, four other artists. Um, one of them, one of whom my friend Leo, who's now a, an engineer at Meta, we met in the photography club and we were, we were both in a comp sci degree. And uh, we actually ended up sharing a studio too. In college, I was uh, going to class during the um, morning, during the early afternoon, and then at night I would work at school newspaper um, in the in the photography department. And then on we- the weekends I would go in and I would start, you know, with my sketches and I would, I would make some art and I would go back and it was this balance for a while. And it was all fun. Uh, because there were so many things that interested me that I, that I photographed. Um, and there was a point, maybe three years into college, halfway through, uh, I knew I was going to finish my degree, but I also knew yep. that it was going to be a viable career path for me if I wanted to go 
the creative studio route too. Mm-hmm. By the time I was 21, so my senior year, I had uh, been nominated for an industry award. Um, I had published a couple of projects. I had had a couple of exhibitions, a couple of pieces in the press. And um, just from, you know, my projects on the weekends. And yeah. uh, before I graduated, I got a call. I was commissioned to shoot the cover of Time magazine in 2016. Wow. When I graduated. That's it awesome. was a story about self-driving cars. Um, cause some of the things that I really loved to photograph and I made sure that everyone in the industry knew it. I loved to <laughs> photograph stories about technology. I loved to photograph yeah. stories about business too. So portraits of entrepreneurs, of, of chief executives, um, startup founders, um, and conceptual artwork, still lives and animations, um, about technology, um, that was, that was awesome. So when you, when you photograph the cover of time, you're kind of like, I could do this as a career if I wanted to. This it is seems really like fun. a viable option now. It was fun. It, I think it's a viable yeah. option now. Um, but I'm going to finish my degree too, because, you know, it's super close. And I always thought that, you know, the more you learn, the more that's in your toolbox for you to work with uh, as time goes on. I always think that you can never really learn enough, um, mm. both sides too. you know, learn more about the things you are curious about. If you are a primary technician, learn more about creativity. If you, you know, are a creative, learn more about technology. I, one of my photographers that I look up to the most, his name is Steve Geralt. I had applied to work at his studio like three times. Um, <laughs> Uh, twice in college, uh, once afterwards. Um, he's what we call a visual engineer. Um, his main, his main uh, style of artwork is like things crashing into each other, and his uh, the equipment that he works with are like giant motion capture robots yeah. and um, you know action packed still lives. And uh, I remember first time I applied to work at his studio I was like you make art with robots I (laughs) want to I want to learn how to operate robots I want to learn how to I just loved that he had this new take you know I'm always curious about how technology pushes art forward so Mm. you know using things like robots using things like AI using and, and using these things to create, you know, to create. Um, so I remember even the photographers that I admired had this special bent about them that was making, was pushing the craft forward. Yeah. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be in that world. Um, and I learned I could. And so when you learn you could, you're having really a lot of fun. I was like, I'm, I graduated and uh, continued with the, the studio that I shared. I, I built up a little practice. I had magazine clients. I had, you know, eventually corporate clients, Toyota, Barclays, um, some magazine clients, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Um, and 
eventually also, you know, you know, every, every, every year I did a personal project too. Sometimes it would be published or exhibited. Sometimes it would just be something that I added to my own body of work yeah. um, where I would just, you know, no one was paying me, no one was publishing me and just a way for me to catch really good ideas and make them real. Um, that was the most, uh, the fun part was learning just like what you're capable of, of doing. If you're, you know, doing that on, and on a small scale, you can, you really do believe that, you know, you're exercising the muscles to be able to solve problems and in really creative ways. Every time I have a friend uh, who maybe founded a startup, I always say that, like, I'm like that kind of user who will give them three ideas to, you know, things that they haven't thought of to, you know, oh, my gosh, you should add 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 this to your app or you could try going in this direction. I'm a very annoying user of. <laughs> app. Uh, but it's helpful, uh, I hope. <laughs> Because when I have an idea, um, I usually get like at least three at once, and um, my brain is is passively creative. And I, you know, for my own app, I would want to know, and I do from my choosy Discord. I get all sorts of really great ideas all the time, and I'm always open minded to it. I'm never married from one uh, solution from point A to point B. So. I'm definitely that kind of person that's always just passively creative because I've nurtured that part of my brain. It's it's made me better for everything that I learned about programming, about you know engineering, about logical thinking. I also feel like the things that I learned beyond a textbook from being uh, a creative person, from being a creative entrepreneur myself, and just having a uh, unusual experiences in life and having access to interesting spaces, learning from life, all of those things I've absorbed outside of a textbook, outside of, you know, corporate work, um, has made me, I think, you know, better in the sense that even, even if, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel, right? Uh, what I believe as an artist is that we all have a point of view, a new taste, a new style. Um, so I don't believe necessarily that just because something exists, you can't add to it. You can always add your perspective. You can always add your taste to your style, to anything that's out there. Anything that's out there, I mean can be innovated with a little bit of creativity. Absolutely. And you know, that, that's so true because look how many times they've remade or added a twist to the way that they interpret Shakespeare. I mean, it's exactly. just one play, but people just spin it in all these different ways because of the way that they perceive the journey themselves. Right. And yeah, everything that got... we do. Oh, yeah. Everything that we do... Um... I feel like uh, is always from our own experience too. It can always be iterated on. Just today yeah. I got a, you know, I got a tweet. Uh, I read a tweet that went like, oh, you know what? Like 
you know, I'm making Juicy. It's social item discovery. It is um, a TikTok for things. Uh, it is a way for, it is almost a social platform centered around objects, right? Um, yeah. I, I collect exotic plants and I'm constantly looking for plants. I'm also looking for planty friends. So I made a social experience where, you know, for me, I'm an enthusiast. I'm a collector of things. Um, we can all nerd out together about the things that we're into. It's yeah. a, also a really good way to discover things, um, <laughs> to, to match weird, uh, you know, odd, obscure things with the people who are obsessed with them. Um, very odd, you know, as as odd as you know, creepy dolls or or <laughs> you know you know, DVDs uh, that are obscure or first edition books. And I was reading this tweet today. It was like, well, isn't that just eBay? Isn't that just Etsy? And for for me, uh, you know, just because there is a way for people to find weird things, uh, it's almost like, you know, Facebook wasn't even the first social platform. It was, you mm. know, there was MySpace before that. There was Friendster before that, <laughs> you know. Yep. Um, the idea for me is I have put things on eBay myself. Um, you can find plants even on eBay yourself. Um, but that's not a social experience. That's not the no. fun. Uh, it's almost like going to um, a store versus mm. or ordering something online versus going to a festival going to a convention center uh the experience what we're adding to it in my opinion is the spirit right it's not just yeah. about transactions it's about the relationships that we build um the passion and spirit that we have uh and just just also based on the idea of item selling as well it's, mm. you know, when I put an item, especially a very niche item out into the world, into a vacuum, it's two hours later, I'm telling you, it'll be on the ninth page of, of <laughs> it'll be on yeah. like page 42 of Etsy in like a day because the people mm -hmm. who are motivated to buy these things, um, you know, we're not going on ebay or etsy until it's time for us to buy the next thing um, it's a fully transactional experience it's a fully transactional experience and a, a community space i go to my community spaces every single day i might hmm. not be looking for anything that day i might not be you know you know it might not be my motivation on any given day to get something but I might stumble across something that one of my fellow friends marked for sale. I might yeah. go there. It's almost like when you go to a convention center, you don't even think you're going to buy something and you come home with a bag full of stuff. <laughs> um, yep. That's the joy of discovering something versus having to go out with just the transactional um, you know, motivation. Uh, mm. And it's funny because um, when you so much of of uh what i believe in is is taking artistry into tech and are there something yeah. about artistry that is 
hard when you are just looking at the numbers, when you're just looking at, you know, the actions. If you're just mm-hmm. going through, you know, what actions are you measuring? If you're saying uh, how many sales, you're just going to look at that one aspect of it. But yeah. for example, an experience that includes sales as like an interaction, because everything I've gotten from my plant collection is from other collectors. Um, yeah. And that's just one of the ways that we interact with each other. But so much of, of adding something to an uh to an experience or to a tech platform. When I talk about artistry, it's talking about conceptually, it's talking about the spirit. Um, It's hard to measure emotional satisfaction. That's, you know, it's, it's not something that... You can't apply metrics to something that's very, that's so human that it's about, you know, it's almost a visceral reaction, right? So, well, it is because it's the way that you feel when you interact with people, when you interact with things and, you know, the whole experience of, you know, just buying it online. It's like that's pure transaction. You get your gratification from hitting that buy button. But if you're going to a market and you do it regularly and you get to do it with the vendors, you sometimes talk to them, you connect with them, you interact with them. They'll tell you about their latest thing or they've collected this new item and you'll see what they've got for sale. But you're able to attach the experience of exploring their collections and able to connect it with the people who are doing the collecting as well. And Absolutely. Yeah. It's almost yeah, like making a more satisfying transaction almost. Yeah. When I buy from a friend, I am supporting, uh, you know, I'm giving the idea of one person's trash is another person's treasure. Uh, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to take something that you don't want. It's also, I'm actually going to enjoy it. I am going to share and experience it like a treasure. It's, it's yeah. you know, the, the relationship doesn't end when you, when you let go of the thing. I, there's almost <laughs> this satisfaction of, of knowing that that experience you know, when someone's obsessed with dahlias and they love uh, dahlias, almost like nerding out about the flower, about the dahlias is part of that whole experience. Um, that's that's how I believe that, you know, transactions don't necessarily just have to be transactional. Um, yeah. It's almost like when you're buying a house, right? Let's say that you have a house and, you know, it's uh, it's a beautiful, unique house um, and you have, you know that there's someone out there that wants to buy it. Um, you might get pictures, right? If Especially if offers are close. You might, yeah. it's not always the highest bidder wins, especially if it's, it's kind of close, like you know um some somewhat of a unique object um Mm. when it when it is and especially if it's something that you cared about um you want to go to a good one of my plants uh one of my plants i would never list on ebay ever ever (laughs) but if it's something you cared about and you saw a picture of a buyer for your house with their family and they're literally writing you a letter being like i will make your house a home that one buyer mm. will lead to a more satisfying transaction, in my opinion, uh, yeah. 
more high quality experience. That transaction feels like almost beyond a transaction to me. And I feel like we're losing something by, you know, eBaying by like Amazoning. Uh, I mean, the idea of uh, taking the human out of transactions with how online shopping has moved into into generalizing uh, about getting things and speaking to the least amount of humans um, when being a collector like me is so much excitement and passion and there's so much satisfaction pride that goes into my thing I care about my thing I think that it would be a disservice or I, I don't think you know, there are, yes, there are ways to sell things, but it, none of those ways feel great to me. And sometimes it's about building a, a feeling, uh, creating a space yeah. for a feeling. Um, and I think that there's not a lot of that anymore yeah. when it comes to um, online transactions. It, mm-hmm. For me, it's about getting to know the the person that I'm selling to and that's that's why I decided to make choosy um, a social experience in a, in addition to um, a place where you can acquire and let go of stuff <laughs> that you have. Um, yeah, well, it makes it's, me think it's different. Of, it's different, and it makes me think of that. Um, I think you said it was a commission where. It's for all these really high-end items as gifts, but once you take it out of the context of where it is and, you know, you put it in this wasteland afterwards when people come to it, you know, generations or ages onwards and they discover these objects, they have no value. And so the value that you've got with the item is intrinsic. It's what the person has put on it, but without the people, where's the value? Like, it's just not there. So creating these connections, having choosy where you're, developing these connections to the other collectors sharing in their fandom sharing in their geeking up and being able to know that something as a collector is going to someone else who cares about it just as much as you will you're creating that connection there so even by itself if the object has no real intrinsic value it has value to the people who have shared in that experience of that object which is absolutely like that (laughs) one of the you know it's not just you know, it's not just a place for my crowd for it's the whole holistic feeling. I don't, I don't collect band shirts. Um, but one person in our discord, uh, collects band shirts. And it's funny because I don't, I have a shirt that I got from one of my first concerts of this panic at the disco t-shirt and it's in my closet right now. And I haven't even looked at it in about a decade. Um, you know, I could, you know, they don't go on, uh, they don't print these shirts anymore. Um, it's not something that, uh, it's not a commodity, you know, Mm. it's kind Mm. of like an uncommon thing now. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I could put it up on eBay. I could put it up (laughs) on, you know, I could put it up on eBay, but the idea is that 
you know, now that I know how much this one person, uh, let's call him Kyle. Let's now that I know that Kyle, uh, I've seen Kyle's collection of band shirts. Uh, I would much prefer my thing going to Kyle than just leaving it up on eBay for like 90 days for some random username to like pick it up. I prefer community commerce. I prefer knowing who a person is if I am going to uh, even even transact with them. Uh, Mm. I've always believed more so in anti-scale when it comes to shopping. I love Mm -hmm. supporting local business. I love um, buying from farmers markets. For me, like the less of, you know, uh, more of a human touch always makes for me commerce more rewarding. Um, Mm. So it's almost like not even a, you know, the reason why I made choosy as a different kind of of place to a different kind of experience when it comes to online shopping and selling. It's not a it's not a flaw that it's anti-scale. It's it's not a not I wouldn't say anti-scale because it's a new way that can, you know, that well it's, it's designed a, it's to an, be more curated. I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it is. I wouldn't say that it's not able to scale. It is able to scale. Yes. I, uh, no, but you. It's you're. But you're transaction quality people, over quantity. Yeah. Quality over quantity of a transaction. Um, when it comes to unique, uncommon objects, like they are special to some people, including me. I see them as special Mm. too. I don't think they deserve, uh, especially if we care about these things, collectors do care about their things, um, doesn't deserve for me just to leave my house and go to just a random anonymous, anonymous person. Yeah. Um, I would like to know that there's care. Uh, And that's (laughs) hard because like you're, you're talking about, technology to enable like something as fluid as care something like emotional satisfaction um but that's why uh you know this is why the launch is important i want to i want to see i want to see people not just buying and selling on choosy i Mm -hmm. i want to i want to see how people like the experience of it you know, I didn't make Choosy for, um, I didn't make Choosy to be like another, you know, a marketplace or like another social app. I yeah, really just made it for people like me and, and people like my friends uh, who haven't had anything similar. And it's also the more important as well, because, I mean, so many things have come out of COVID, but when everyone had to kind of isolate and stay at home, you did lose that sense of community. And so many people were, had lost their spaces where they can go and connect with other people. 
And, you know, it started to really highlight the way that people start to interact online, even though we didn't, uh, even before we had to isolate and do all those sorts of things because everything has become very transactional, very sanitized in the way that we do things, sometimes overly efficient because we're looking at volume and scale over connection and quality. Right. So having these little pockets, you know, creating communities like Choosy, which allows people to have these little pockets of community and connection and still able to, you know, source what it is they're looking for and what they desire and being able to find people that you can connect with, with the same, you know, desires and, you know, passions for what you do is, you know, it's the perfect thing for technology to be able to facilitate. (laughs) I think that everybody... I would not judge anybody who does want, uh, you know, there is a lot of great things about efficiency. Um, But I don't think, I think there's a room, there's room for better experiences along with efficiency. For example, Mm -hmm. like you could be so efficient about food that you could just drink Soylent every day. That's fine. Like to just just have like nutritionally complete gruel is like, something that some people do i am a foodie i love you know the feeling that i get from tasting food and you know in my culture food is the hello like i care about you yeah i well greeting is have you eaten yet (laughs) have you eaten yet exactly from during covid especially when i couldn't see my family I created an art project during COVID and it was called quarantine care package because when we weren't able to see our family, um, my family, what they would do was go to the Asian supermarket and get a, uh, you know, various things from the Asian supermarket, groceries, you know, packaged goods, face masks, and uh, they would put together little care packages and my mom and dad would leave them on my door. Even without seeing or hugging or, or, um, you know, really saying anything, uh, having that quiet interaction, those gifts were an expression of care. Yeah. Even just, you know, seeing the items uh knowing that you know that was an interaction knowing that that came from a place of you know my family wanting me to eat to you know remember my culture to stay healthy um you know there was it wasn't just like if i just wanted asian you know if I just wanted groceries, I could have Instacarted that, you know, but it's like exactly the idea that this quarantine care package came when I was feeling lonely and it was from my parents hoping that I'd be okay. Um, seeing those items at my door, there's more around that. There was more satisfaction around that. And I think I was thinking that's when I birthed choosy, the idea of choosy during the pandemic as well. Um, yeah, we weren't, uh, we didn't have a lot of in-person interactions with people. Um, 
you know, I started collecting plants. Uh, there was not a lot of festivals or plant swaps or meetups um, or anything. So I remember joining online communities about it um, and, you know, learning about, uh, about rare plants, um, learning how to take care of them. It gave me ways to interact with other people that, you know, you know, having less interactions, the interactions that I had with my passion community meant more to me. Even their things meant more to me. You know, if we would, you know, pass each other through the mail or through, you know, very small exchanges, you know, getting, getting a new plant for my collection from somebody else in my community was it, it almost also had that too. It was like, I can remember, you know, the, I can remember some of the people that gave me certain plants in my collection. I can remember, yeah, you know, when I met them and when I got this plant. Um, and when you get the plant, you think of them as well. When I, yeah, exactly. When I, when I look at the plant, when I take care of it, I think of them. Um, Getting somebody, getting something from a peer versus a stranger, getting something from my family versus Instacarting it. Um, it, it feels more special to me. And to be able to make an impact that leaves a better experience for people, not exactly like, you know, if it's measured in, in, in the experience for me yeah. to make that kind of positive impact um, and facilitate that easier for some mm -hmm. people or just like, you know, people like me, that's yeah. the goal here. Well, that's my goal. I would be, I would be totally cool with that. <laughs> it's a good goal because yeah, yeah, all of these experiences, all of these memories, they're, it's, it's nice because they're things that you can reflect on. They fire off all these positive neurons. It's, you know, it just leaves you with good vibes and it makes you feel, you know, it, being able to be positive about your experiences, being able to be positive about your connections allows you to help to be more positive down the road. Like it just keeps paying forward. Yeah. And I think that the, I think that our economy is trending that way. When you, mm. you know, I've spoken to a lot of collectors, uh, collecting is a growing hobby and, uh, a lot like I would say almost 80% of of the choosy wait list is Gen Z or millennial when you think about the way that people's shopping habits are evolving I don't think that my um, mentality over wanting to support my community you know believing in responsible capitalism and mutual aid in sustainable transactions um, Versus like, you know, the invisibility of online shopping versus like more peer-to-peer -peer transactions, more of these uh, friendly transactions, these casual ones, you know. I think that the next generation does want more than just, uh, you know, invisible packages from invisible people. I think yeah. that there are are so many professional communities out there um so many hobbyist communities out there but we really you know with gen z and gen alpha i 
I think that we're seeing a trend towards integrating these parts of our lives. Like when we go out and we um, make transactions, we also want that to benefit our communities. We also want that to almost like shop our friends more. We see, I think more, I think social commerce has been adopted a lot more with the next generation. And so I think that this, Mm -hmm. This trend, I think this trend is going to continue. I I know that I've moved. Um, uh, I Your have my habits. preferences, and yeah. I, I do think that community commerce is so promising because of our values. I think our values are changing, where we do want to see each other more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because it's all the stuff with supply chains being problematic everywhere I think a lot of more people are thinking about how they can you know buy to support what's available more locally and Mm -hmm. you know it does make you a bit more thoughtful about what you're buying and you know considerate of where it comes from and the impact that you're making by making your transactions so yeah it's a yeah it's a fascinating trend forward I I I have um, looked at, you know, there are a lot of marketplace listings for plants and some of mm-hmm. them are from far away. Like, uh, you know, there are plants that are listed that are coming all the way from Singapore that are coming from, um, you know, other countries. And for me, like I love rare plants. When I, when I search a rare plant, there's not a lot of options, right? But I've always found it more satisfying not to, you know, import a plant from abroad. You don't know Mm. whether it was, for me, I can't make a quick judgment on whether it was obtained through poaching or whether it was, you know, um, you know, what the supply chain looks like. But if I know that one of my plant collector friends, one of my plant collector friends, um, you know, nurtures plants and maybe like it had a little offshoot or a little baby and, you know, they're the one I'm getting that from. It makes me feel better because the distance is shorter. Um, mm-hmm. Why? Why? It's quicker. Yes, it is quicker for me to search for something rare and get it wherever it comes from. If it's promised to be here in three days or mm-hmm. however long, a week. Uh, but it makes me feel better if I know that there's somebody in my neighborhood that has it, or there's somebody in my community, yeah. um, my local community that might have something similar. Yeah. It, it's the provenance. the provenance. Because having it, yeah, having it connected to your community, your circles, even, you know, secondary tertiary circles. Yeah, giving that level of trust and adding that quality of provenance to an item, especially if it's a collectible item, it, yeah, it gives you a lot more satisfaction, but it also gives you a lot more security in what you're buying. Absolutely. I, I, I and it's interesting because, uh, I read a lot of uh, 
I've always read a lot of magazines. I've felt like a very multidisciplinary founder in a way because, you know, reading about, you know, ethics, psychology, art, technology, um, economy, um, that well-roundedness that I think yeah. from having so many experiences, from meeting so many people, really informs my my approach in, in how I build moving forward. Um, and I think that gives me a little bit of this perspective that, you know, when I, when I create something, I never look at it from just one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I never, you know, build for the sake of the technology I'm building. I never, you know, uh, move forward with, you know, a project for only the sake of, um, for only the sake of, you know, it's to make money or something like that. Like it's always so many different ways. I think about a holistic value to what its impact would be. And, um, that's informed by, you know, last year I, or maybe it was earlier this year, earlier this year, I, uh, photographed, uh, for the New York Times, a series about climate activists, climate activists mm. and educators, and learning from so many people in sustainability. When I when I am building, I feel as if you know, I feel as if I've had values come from all over the place. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm looking at it with the perspectives of you know, more than what I studied, more than, more than uh, one perspective. And I, that makes me, I think, a better builder in a way, because I always have a North Star as to why I'm building. And I try to make it as informed, uh, informed as possible, not just by, you know, advisors or, or people in the tech world, but from maybe every interaction that I've had, uh, with a lot of different circles. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like a passive mentoring community because while you're working with these people, you're talking to them because, you know, well, actually let's talk about that. When you're working in portraiture, photographing these people, trying to capture who they are for the profile or whatever theme is being captured for the brief, how do you cultivate that? How, what, what's your process? My process uh, when it comes to a portrait, I've always loved uh, to take an environmental portraiture angle. That I always lead with environmental portraiture. I think about a person and their things. <laughs> That's the way I, well, I am, the way I am. But I, I, I look at them beyond them, almost. Beyond what they write on LinkedIn. Beyond, you know, what's their Twitter bio. I talk to them and look beyond what it is they're saying to me. And I try to look at everything from 40 different angles, like uh, the things that are in their house, the um, what they're wearing that day, uh, you know, what drink is in their hand, um, the pictures are framed on their walls. I try to think about a person as a sum of complex parts. and that's really, really hard when you only have, you know, uh, not that much time. Let me make 
sometimes it's an hour if I'm lucky. Maybe it is yeah. like 10 minutes. Um, you know, I photograph activists like Linda Sarzor and Gloria Steinem and, you know, some startup founders are running, and I know this now too, are running between here and there. So I do a lot of research. Um, so I do a lot of research, but I go there and I'm open-minded and I'm always yeah. observing the environment as well. My favorite, uh, my favorite, I think subjects have been uh, surprising mixes, just like me. Um, one of them was a food artist, somebody who's an artist who was also a trained chef who decided to use food as her medium of choice to, you know, make artwork. Uh, so yeah. I thought that was very interesting because that is, that it's like something new in their toolbox, right? That's something that's yeah. un unusual, but in their toolbox, art, food. Uh, I also try to think when I'm with a, a subject or when I'm about to be with a subject, my approach is also like, what parts of that can I relate to? What parts do I think I want to bring out to the best of my ability? Because those are the qualities that I admire about myself. You know, are they multidisciplinary? You know, are they a hustler? Are they a visionary? Um, I constantly think about if I was in their shoes, how would I want to feel if there is one part of them that I could connect to? It's, it's almost like, this is really a weird thing to say, but I'm photographing myself over and over and over again, because these are the qualities that I really admire in other people too. Um, so I try to think about it, not just like, not just that Ted talk story that everybody knows, but <laughs> if I only have five minutes to talk to somebody, I might talk to them about, you know, the tree house that they built when they were a kid. And that's what, you know, inspired them to be a builder. And yeah. I might think about, and it is, it's kind of interesting because then you, you take a minute, you make a judgment about, you know, this person that you don't know very well. And, you know, what is that? one thing if I could pick one thing to showcase what would that be and then to make it real so this is really funny but I was photographing a company for Adweek and it was like mm -hmm. uh, a CEO and 15 different C-suite executives from like across the uh, globe right Europe heads of uh, you know every division and the CEO in the first I guess five minutes. I had my assistants, we did stand-ins and everything, and I'm always adjusting as I move. I'm iterating if I learn something new. So I had him in the front. But when he came on board and I spoke to him, he was that kind of person that was like, everyone is on my team. I'm a team player, even though I am, uh, you know, the CEO and the founder, I want it to not be like, I'm the most prominent one. I did it with everybody else. So what I did, I remember putting him in the back, but in an, on an elevated, like on like an elevated tier. Uh, I think they were standing yeah. on stairs, but making sure he was in the back, but he wasn't the biggest. I was also mm -hmm. making sure that, you know, 
for example, um, when I think about women and where they're placed in my shot and, you know, whether, you know, there is, I always think that there's bias, for example, you know, men being placed above women, like visually and, you know, in positions of, of, of power, you know, there are a lot of photography has, has these like, almost like visual biases. biases. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With, you know, how, it, it is a, a subjective way. It's, it is the artist's interpretation. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think that women have been photographed as powerfully um, in group settings as they could yeah. be. So I'm always thinking about, I'm almost even thinking about the impact of, of the way that I mm -hmm. place them. Not, And that's beyond the composition. That's beyond the surface. Yeah. I'm thinking about what message am I trying to say? And what does this person want to say? Um, yeah. And that's why I think he really liked my image of him because it wasn't like I'm photographing him like every CEO. I've, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about the values that yeah. I want to highlight about him. And one of those things was his humility, but also his, it's almost like servant leadership, right? That's what yeah. Steve Jobs said, uh, a leader that, you know, works with with their team and and trusts them, leads them and has this mission effort. That's almost that's something that I admired so much because that's the kind of leader and founder I want to be. And so I yeah. attached to that. It's so personal. Um, mm. Art, just like just like being a founder, too. For me, it's yes. hard to detach from my values. It's hard to detach mm. making something from believing in it. That's, that's why I can't make, I don't think I can make something that I don't believe in. Um, Absolutely. Whether well, it be it's art so or, important. Yeah, I know. Uh, there are just, maybe that's just because I'm not like a good, I wouldn't be able to sell it if my heart wasn't behind what I was making. Right. Yeah. I, I also, you know, I used to do the same thing for corporate work with my creative studio as well. So I would attach to something with a brand that I really loved. For example, the mm -hmm. assignment that I did for Barclays um, was about women executives and their mentors like yep. women mentors, women executives coming up in the ranks. And so I think about mm -hmm. telling a story that I really, really believe in before I take on a corporate, before I used to take on a corporate assignment as well. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's all connected because your experiences, seeing these people, the way they work, the kind of values that they have and the way that they want to present themselves, like it, it all informs your own experience as a founder. And, you know, I, I just love the fact that your creative work and your tech background is just blending together and just giving you the completely different shape of an entrepreneurial journey that others would have. I guess I'm just so choosy myself, right? I'm, <laughs> I, I remember being so choosy with uh, my assignments for my creative studio and being, you know, 1000% like I wanted um bringing my 1000 percent to to every assignment because i was taking the assignments that i really 
loved. And the thing is, when you do things, when you make things, when you tell messages that you really stand behind, that you believe in, the what comes to you next, then you have a track record of building these things along with your values. And yeah. every project uh, like builds off of that next thing. And every yeah, project becomes uh, a logical continuation because you build something, you know, or you make something, it's good. Um, you knew that you could stand behind it. People then expect you to do the same thing, but that's all you. So you love the next thing you do. It's that logical progression. So being choosy uh, about my projects paid off in the long run because not only was I able to discover, you know, what my point of view was, um, what I cared about, how I, you know, how I produce my projects. That's like, you know, leadership style, project management, like how you go about operating as a human being. Yeah. It made me think, it made me think and approach every other project better. It's all very iterative. <laughs> it's all very iterative. Yeah. Being a collector, so, anyway. being an artist, and I think being a technician too. Yes, absolutely. It's all about learning and getting better and finding other ways of doing things. So, you know, because there is this constant growth that's happening in all of these spaces, how have you found support in this space or mentorship or, you know, how have you gone to find out what you don't know about what you don't know? I always, uh, it's funny. I did a, I always leverage, I always leverage my, uh, the power of my own network. For example, I'm a really good networker. I have, Very I'm constantly going, <laughs> uh, fearlessly into spaces where I can learn what I'm curious about. When I was 16 years old, that was going to American uh, Photographic Association meetings, the APA. Uh, when yeah. I eventually applied to graduate school in photography, I decided not to go. But the president <laughs> of the APA wrote my recommendation letter. When it came to becoming a digital tech, she gave me my first job as a digital tech on her sets. Um, so just showing up is step one. Uh, mm -hmm. Knowing what you want to learn, uh, figuring out where it is that those people are that can um, teach you, that can support you, offering to add value. Um, me, it was using what I could offer was, as a young person, my flexibility, right? Drop everything mm -hmm. and let's, you know, help me <laughs> out with this project on this weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm down. Nothing is too crazy. Nothing was, you know, um, I was using that as a benefit um, of my enthusiasm and just being able to show up and you know, the world is busy. It's crazy. We all have our lives to do. Showing up um, is not easy. It's not easy yeah. always. And But that was something I just dedicated myself to. You know, I wouldn't, you know, I would try not to skip class too much to do <laughs> it. But um, 
it was about uh, community. So for me right now, I am in a couple of communities, one called Founder Cafe, Founders Cafe, which is um, out of Stanford University. And it is uh, one of those, um, you have to apply to to join it, but you join like 125 found, founders who are like solo-ish founders. We're all really high achieving, but like solo-ish, like yeah. probably a little bit figuring this out on our own and, and mm-hmm. helping each other because we all have different complementary skill sets. We can help each other figure out those things that we don't learn. And as solo founders, yeah. you know, you're doing... You're managing engineering, you know, design, strategy, operations, everything is your own Mm -hmm. responsibility. So even if you can only take certain areas, like 40% of the way, you have people to learn from. Uh, I most recently joined Launch House, um, which is this, another new community uh, uh, that is... uh, actually really cool they have a clubhouse in new york and uh a mansion in in san francisco in la or something like that and and it's really close-knit some of the founders even live together uh work together all the time um so i have tried to find people like me and hang out with them that's that's it let it organically happen i try you know, I don't do, you know, the cold email, like, let's just, I want something from you. All of my relationships are long-term relationships. I will, there might be some people that I ask, that I um, ask that I knew from my photography days. Um, Mm -hmm. My photography agent had a background in brand partnerships uh, for startups. And one of her uh, previous startups was acquired by Macy's in the, in the consumer retail space. So it's not just about new connections. It's also about re-engaging your old connections in new ways. Yeah. And people don't think about that. They're like, oh, I don't know anybody who does this. And it's like, you've known a lot of people maybe over the past 10 years or 15 years. What are they doing now? Have, you know, I try to... Uh, I try to keep up with what people are doing now and try to re-engage with old friends on a regular basis too, even, uh, and not because of, you know, being useful or something like that, but just keeping my network um, open and positive. And if there's somebody that I can help out, um, I absolutely will because karma mm-hmm. is one of those things that just comes back to you. Like you help some somebody out and there are a lot of people who want to get into photography uh, that I'm now also passing different opportunities to and different knowledge to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being positive and putting out uh, what you want to see happen to you. You never know. Uh, yeah. It always comes back. So tr- I'm doing the same thing that I've always done, leveraging my own network, entering spaces, uh, even if it's scary, new spaces, just <laughs> doing it anyway, having no fear, asking a question, no questions are dumb, um, and just being really eager. 
Yep. I think people want to help if they believe that their help will matter. So just being also really appreciative too. Like I expect Mm -hmm. nothing uh, ever. Just good conversation. Absolutely. And there's so many things that, you know, a lot of people, I, I say this a lot, a lot of people treat networking in a completely mercenary kind of way because they're expecting a transaction out of it. But it really is all about the connections and about the people and who they are. And it's not always going to be about what they do because knowing the people opens doors and right. they, they won't always be explicit doors. And, you know, it's, they're not always. there's always people worth knowing. It's, it's, um, I think that in a lot of other cultures um, outside of America, where I'm from, I don't know about Australia, but the relationships um, are a huge part of business Um, Mm -hmm. in in parts of Asia, the Middle East, you know, these relationships do long term relationships do take a a front seat uh, rather than just like, you know, meet somebody make a deal just you know go there make a deal there's this there's a preamble there's a dance there is you know a history of knowing each other's networks there are you know there there's so much more to the relationship beyond that transaction and i've seen that um so much i think that being Asian American and and having this deep cultural knowledge outside of um, outside of my experience in America and being able to integrate various values and and knowledge that comes from different kinds of interactions um, has been a really big benefit I think for me um, because I do know what it's like for uh, you know the the, the soft things behind transactions are, yeah, you know, when we, when you think about business as if you were like, you, you weren't, I don't know, looking from the outside in, it's, there's this like preconceived notion that it is that this like, you know, every man for themselves, like, you know, when we think about business capitalism you know this all men for themselves this this competition this this very like almost like a battle royale right you you, that is a different vision than for me what it means to be good at business is cultivating relationships, about inspiring others, about leading with trust, about, I think, not always making the quickest deal, but always making the best one. And the best one for me is always one that's win-win, always one that Mm -hmm. offers value to the most. Yeah. And that's a different perspective, I think. And I think that our mentality for what we expect from business what we expect from technology i i hope i hope uh, that it is more more than just the the most efficient outcome that would Mm -hmm. make me happy anyway absolutely yeah 
Well, that's been absolutely awesome. Just hearing your perspective about, you know, the way that you're putting the people behind transactions in all respects, whether it's relationships or commercial. And yeah, it's just so important to be thinking about the people behind all our interactions. So might wrap on up with some of those other questions I mentioned. And what hobby or interest do you have that is most unrelated to your field or field of work? Given how broad you oh, are. My <laughs> life is so integrated right now where my hobby for uh, nurturing rare plants and collecting rare plants has to do with my startup, uh, <laughs> choosy uh, social app for collectors, um, which, you know, has to do with my art because I'm a still life photographer uh, that collects quirky things from the world and puts them together to make stories. So <laughs> let me see. One thing that's unrelated to my art, my app, and my plan. <laughs> huh. An integrated life. So I think that's one totally hobby. as well because you were able to make your hobby about plants, about everything else. That is my answer because my... It's almost like my work is like 30% a hobby. It is like 30% like the work. Um, and it is like 30%, I don't know, like, like calling or something that is just part of my irrational motivation. So I... Yeah believe that the word in Japan for this is ikigai, where you believe yep. that there is a purpose level to it. There is a, uh, you love it and it's fun. Um, and it also has an impact and you can also make it your career. Uh, I've tried to integrate the things that I find fun into the things that I try to be good at and do for work. Yeah. So it's everything. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's not a bad way of doing it because, you know, people keep saying you should love what you do. And if you can make that work, if you can bring those two worlds together in a way that is complementary and doesn't kill the vibe, then, you know, that's the goal, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I do think about that sometimes when people say you should love what you do. I do believe that in my case, that is, that is real. And that is the most rewarding thing that I can say about myself is that I've crafted life to be, um, I couldn't ask for a better way. I've, I've crafted it, but I will also say it takes, it has taken a lot of work. It has taken yeah. a lot of, you know what, risk management hmm. in the sense that what you love um emotional satisfaction will drive you to uh you know unknown waters because you you know you're not sure there can be no surety if your path is not uh linear or repeatable or you know, you just have to learn and iterate. And as you keep going, you start learning, I can improve on this. And then you have to improve yeah. it. Um, as you keep going, Follow you through. learn <laughs> what, not just what you love, but what you hate. And you're going to make mistakes because it is iterative. It is, 
um, unpredictable. It is risky. So we should, but I will also acknowledge, you know, I don't have any kids right now. I don't have, uh, you know, my, 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 my parents are independent. I will also acknowledge that my circumstances have, and discovering a lot about myself at a very early age um, has helped in giving me the time to weather such risks and the ability to improve in the areas where I've assigned myself to improve it in. And that's would be much harder for me if it was decades into the future or if um, my path was, was longer um, than Mm. it was. I, just squashed so much of it together, right? Learning about computer science while I was learning about art, you know, yep. d- learning about plants while I was, I decided to build an app to solve all my problems. Um, yeah. Doing many things at once. I'm a, I'm a very good multitasker, but that means I <laughs> may have three failures at once that I'm fixing all on the same day or week. Uh it leaves is a full life and Mm. fitting other things into a full life is, I think it's, it's a privilege, but it's also, um, it's limiting in the way where, well, there's always a lot to think about. Yeah. Mentally, um, because you're always dealing with these things from three different angles. You have, uh, it's it's like when things are good, they're really good. And when things are, uh, you know, when things are bad, not not that they're bad, but when, when your optimal. day is off, <laughs> you're almost like fighting a war on three different fronts where you're like, oh my mm. gosh, you know. Did I just do this? Fires everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're you're constantly looking at what I mentioned. uh, When I crafted a piece of art, I would spend the whole day making just five images or, you know, two animations. When you're that much Mm -hmm. of a a perfectionist, I would say, it could be difficult because you want to get everything right. And sometimes you can't and you just have to make it as best as you could be. Um, it's almost like all-consuming. Yeah. But, but I like it. Yeah, it's, it's when you have a goal, when you have objective, when you have ideas that you want to get done, it, it's hard and it is going to be challenging, but it's about, you know, persevering and being resilient about understanding that things aren't always going to be smooth. Right. That's one of the, th- that's one of the things I really believe you need if you're going to have um, a, a life where you do something uh, that you love. Yeah. You're going to need perseverance. You're going to need some aspect of creativity, of fearlessness, and mm. just, uh, yeah, I would say perseverance is probably the biggest one because you have to weather <laughs> storms. Uh, yeah. Doing something that you know, especially if it hasn't been done before in your way, that means you will always have to get back up. 
you can't just Absolutely. like lay face down on the ground because something doesn't work out because you know there might it might not or it might not not win the battle but you'll have to win the war yes exactly okay and which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you i really love series when fortunate events by lemony snicket uh have you heard of that one talk about fires yes so many fires at once trying to juggle that <laughs> i love the series of unfortunate events because it's all about creative problem solving in my opinion yeah uh, the world especially when you're a kid you have no control over your circumstances mm -hmm. and there are a lot of things that you don't have control over and you just have to make the best of every situation um, mm -hmm. and get out, uh, move on, uh, you know, stay optimistic. And I always talk about um, not every event is always going to be fortunate, but when you have, uh, when you recognize your talents and you can lean on your friends um, and the people close to you. You really, I, I do believe that you can do anything. Yeah. But with a good support, you've got support network. You've got, yeah. Yeah. And a good That's talent right. yourself. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> and lastly, we've already covered most of this. So... In just sum it up if you like. What advice would you give someone who wants to do what you do? Or what advice should they ignore? My advice for somebody who, for something, for somebody that wants to do what I do, I would say diversify. Uh, be, being multidisciplinary uh, and versatile and nimble. Uh, always have a side hustle right? Be learning something that you're not currently doing for work or you know, for school. Always learn something else. Um, not only is it good to have a plan B and a plan C, but you might find something awesome if you put parts of those two things together. And yeah, I, I just, you know, one side hustle or maybe two, uh, don't go crazy because uh, then you'll lose focus. Yeah. But try try to always have like, I don't know. Something you're exploring. Exactly. Always be exploring uh, one more thing um, mm -hmm. that you're curious about. What advice would I lean away from? I would say... I wouldn't listen to if if you're really curious about how to do something or go somewhere, achieve something, and somebody says you can't do it, I would I would say never indulge the idea that you can't do it. You think about the conditions that would have to be present for you to be able to do it. Think mm -hmm. about you know, think about what it would look like, what the world would look like for you to be able to, and try to get closer. Try to figure out a different path if, if need be, or a new flair on what it is you're doing. 
but I could I could do it and the power of and yeah and that or um if this were true uh then I could do that I would always say Mm -hmm. it's never no it's just like a situation it is and it's just either getting yeah getting closer to it finding a way around it or you know coming at it from a different angle exactly i uh one of the things that i've uh mentioned uh to myself when things get hard is scope it down or scope it uh if something is sounds too ambitious right just give yourself more time if you can't give yourself more time make it smaller when I have a very ambitious creative project and I really want it to be this great, surreal, you know, feeling, this scene that says a lot of messages. What do I do if I do not have a giant, you know, budget or a lot of time? I just miniaturize it, you know? I miniaturize the scene. Don't think about, you know, exactly. Think about what the essence of what your message is, what you want to achieve. And you could really accomplish that essence on much less. If you think about adapting it or or adapting the scope or just making the project a little bit more miniature, you could probably get the most important parts of what you want to achieve just in a different way. It'll just look a little different and you can build on that. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent advice, no matter what field you're in. (laughs) So this has been such an incredible conversation, Shirley. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. If people would like to know more about what you do and what you're building and Choosy, where can they go? So if you're curious about Choosy, you can go to www.choosy.us. Choosy is spelled C-H-O-O. S-I-I dot U-S. Um, and you can learn more about Choosy. It's my social app for collectors. And if you want to see my art, you can go to www.shirleyshotu.com. And Shirley Shot You is my first name, uh, Shot, and my last name, Y-U. It's a pun. Um dot com and then you'll see my art (laughs) exactly excellent (laughs) awesome well thank you again Shirley this has been absolutely amazing and I hope you have a wonderful day absolutely I hope you have a wonderful day too ciao I've loved speaking with Shirley about having a technically oriented family and finding her way through her own technical path to creative entrepreneurship and now blending the two with her new journey as a founder to learn more about Shirley and what we discuss on the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steampowered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about Choosy at choosii.us and Shirley on social media, the links for which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steampowered on Patreon and the Steampowered Show. The link for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.